If you are using those pew Bibles now, we're on page 977, reading from Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jody. Good morning. For those of you who are newer and might not know me, my name's Kevin. I'm one of the elders here, and I want to thank Josh for asking me to preach this morning. Thank you for listening to me in advance. And I wanted to say that I think you'll be helped if you uh, keep your Bible open. And uh, if you've already closed the Pew Bible, it's page 977, because I'm going to be pointing to the text quite a bit uh, throughout this sermon. No one likes being on the losing team, right? Especially if your team keeps losing year after year and decade after decade. It can be discouraging to have people look down on you and, you know, to be the butt of jokes, get your hopes up. I see, I see Justin Darris uh, smiling on the front row here, right? You get your hopes up, this is going to be the season, and then you have all of your hopes dashed, right? Um, from an external perspective, sometimes it can feel like the church is on the losing team. In both the elite culture of our universities and the pop culture of our television shows, the church is not usually looked up to, but looked down on. Now, on the one hand, this shouldn't be a surprise, because we follow the one who is crucified. And he taught us that if anyone would come after him, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. To be crucified is to be a loser. It was a death for those who opposed the Roman Empire and lost. Jesus tells us we must deny our desire to be on the winning team. We must deny our desire to be accepted and liked and praised. We must be willing to be rejected and shamed and even killed like he was. On the other hand, this could be discouraging. 
But I think our passage today was written to encourage us to not lose heart. So this passage is about the Apostle Paul, who was eventually killed for his ministry of proclaiming Christ. When he wrote this letter, he was in prison for proclaiming Christ. You can see that in verse 1. I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. This passage is kind of a parenthesis in the letter. It's, it's a parenthetical explanation of Paul's ministry and his imprisonment. You can see that by looking at verse 1. It says, for this reason, and then he kind of trails off. And then look at verse 14. It says, for this reason, he picks it up. All right? So this is a, it's a parenthetical explanation of Paul's ministry. And notice how it, it is bookended by Paul's suffering. Right? Verse 1 talks about his imprisonment. I'm a prisoner. And then verse 13 talks about his suffering, what I am suffering for you. Right? He was suffering in prison because he was proclaiming Christ to the Gentiles. He says in verse 13, I'm suffering for you. Remember, or maybe you don't know this, but, uh, and, and we'll know this now, that Paul was chosen by the risen Christ to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to take this Jewish message of good news and to take it to all the Gentiles. And that just means the nations, all the rest of the world. You can read about this, if you're interested in it, in Acts 9. So Paul went around the world telling people that through the death and resurrection of Christ, God has now made a way for everyone who believes to be saved and to be part of the family of God. By the way, that everyone includes you, right? If you haven't come to faith, right, that includes you. You can come to faith today, be saved, and be part of the family of God. But in Acts 9, Paul also says, Jesus, rather, also says, I will show Paul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. See, Paul's ministry was marked by suffering. It was stamped by suffering. His life was patterned after the one in whom he had believed and whom he proclaimed, the crucified one. In Galatians, he says, he says don't, don't trouble me anymore because I bear in my body the marks of Christ. And he's referring to his scars. Of course, in this letter, he is in prison as he's writing. You see, God purposely advances the gospel through suffering. He brought salvation to the world through the crucified Christ. And this message was proclaimed in all the world by the crucified Apostle Paul. And ministers who genuinely proclaim the gospel today are crucified ministers. And the true church is a crucified church. But the point of this passage today is to tell us why we shouldn't be discouraged about that. Paul concludes in verse 13. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. When, when we see ministers suffering, right, when we see the church losing, we can be tempted to despair. But what this passage does is it gives us three reasons not to despair. It's all about why the church should not lose heart in her suffering. And uh, we'll see, as I said, three reasons today. And I wanted to mention I'm not going verse by verse through the passage. I'm going to look at some of the major themes in the passage, and I'll be pointing out, those out as we go. 
And the first theme I, I see comes from this language of mystery and revelation. You can see it in verse 3. Paul says, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. And then verse 4, the mystery of Christ. And then verse 6, this mystery is. And then verse Verse 9, the plan of the mystery hidden for ages. And I think what we see here in this language is that the church should not lose heart in suffering because our gospel, our message, is a mystery revealed by God. Our gospel is a mystery revealed by God. From an external perspective, the gospel looks weak, just like Christ, right? From an external perspective, Christ looked weak. The prophet Isaiah says, He had no form or majesty, no beauty that we should desire him. But we know that he was God. He was God with us, Emmanuel. Those who saw the face of Jesus, like Paul, saw the face of God. The gospel about Christ is similar. From an external perspective, it looks weak. You know, for many people, Jesus died for, he was raised, blah, blah, blah. Why do we have to go to church? This is boring, right? But for those who understand it, we know it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. It's the very revelation of God. In verse 8, Paul calls the gospel that he proclaims, he calls it the unsearchable riches of Christ. Have you ever searched for something on the internet and found there's nothing really there to find, right? You go to the second page, the third page, the fourth page. I call this a deep Google, all right? Uh, and, and you find there's nothing there, right? There's nothing there to find. When we come to the gospel, right, the scriptures and the Christ they proclaim, we start on page one and we keep going and we find there's always more to find. There's always more to find because the riches of Christ are unsearchable. Why is this? One reason is because he's God. And God, by definition, is unsearchable and incomprehensible to us. But the riches of Christ are also unsearchable because they have been revealed to us by God. See, this gospel that Paul proclaimed, it wasn't just a good idea that he had one day. It wasn't something that he thought about really hard and figured it out, right? It's something he says that was revealed to him. Look at verse 3. He says, Assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace um, that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. God revealed the gospel to Paul. And Paul says, now he has written down this revelation. In verse 3 again, he says, As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. I think what Paul is talking about when he says, as I have written briefly, is he's probably talking about Ephesians 1 and 2, what he's just written about. And he says, when you read this, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of God. 
Right. Uh, what, do these, what do these chapters say? We've been going over them the last couple of weeks. Among other things, they say that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, as Will reminded us this morning. Right? They say that God has saved us through faith and by His grace. They say that God has made Jews and Gentiles into one unified family in the church. This is the point that Paul really focuses on here in our passage in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. If all you had was the Old Testament, you'd see that God promised to save the Jews and, and through the Jews to bless all the nations of the world. But it wouldn't be clear, it wasn't clear until the coming of Christ that God's intention was actually to bring all the nations of the world, Jews and Gentiles, together into one unified body, the body of Christ, the church. Uh, this is why our unity matters so much, by the way, right? The unity of the church is part of God's plan in the gospel. Look at verse 9. It says, it says that Paul, Paul says, I, I was given grace to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. God created all things, and he created them with a plan. But he didn't let us in on that plan until Christ came and until he revealed it to the apostles and the prophets. Christ brought, truly brought light into the world, the light of revelation. And when Paul proclaimed Christ, he brought light to us. My point here is that the gospel that we believe and proclaim, our message is the true revelation of God. It's the great light of God. The church, as we've said, can feel like it's on the losing team. It can feel like it's a minority. But if it's in the minority, it's because of our great privilege of having God's revelatory light. No one complains about being in the minority when they get to fly first class. No one complains about being in the minority when they have the inside scoop. If we're in a minority, it's because of the great privilege we have. We have the privilege of having the very revelation of God. And so, Paul says, we should take heart. Right? Remember what the angels said to the shepherds. Behold, I bring you great news of, sorry, good news, all right? Not that great. I'm kidding, all right? All right. <clears throat> uh, behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all people. This good news was actually a message of suffering. Christ was born to die. And as Paul and the church embrace and proclaim this message, we follow in the footsteps of the crucified one. But it's through suffering that God brings salvation to the world. So we can take heart, first, because this gospel is the true revelation of God. A second theme I see in this passage comes from the language of grace, and you can see that in verse 2, uh, where Paul says, speaks of God's grace that was given to me for you, and then verse 7, the gift of God's grace which was given to me, and then verse 8, the grace that was given. You can see it repeated a couple of times. The point here, I think, is that the church should not lose heart because crucified ministers of the gospel 
are the gifts of God. Crucified ministers of the gospel are the gifts of God. I have a friend who is a, he's a New Testament professor, and he's a godly Christian man, and he has faced strange, seemingly satanic opposition in three of his four teaching positions. His son was growing up through all this, and he told him, Dad, I don't want to be a Christian, because look what's happened to you, (laughs) right? When we see the suffering of God's ministers, like Paul in prison, we can be tempted to lose heart. But we see here that just as God has given us the crucified Christ as a gift, so he gives us crucified ministers of the gospel to lead us to salvation. Now, when Paul speaks of God's grace or his gift, sometimes he means our salvation. And you can see that in chapter 2, verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. But other times he uses grace to refer to the gift of ministry, the gift of service. And that's what we see in our passage in in verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul was given a gift, and his specific gift was his role as an apostle. So he's part of the group that he mentions in verse 5 when he says the gospel has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit. What were apostles? Apostles were that small group of men who had had personally seen the risen Christ and been sent out by the risen Christ to proclaim the gospel in all the world. We think of the 12 apostles, right, minus Judas, of course, and then Paul and perhaps a few others who are prophets. Prophets were Christians who received revelation from God by the Spirit, like apostles. They helped lay the foundation of the church in which the church has been built. You can see that in chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says the church, church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And I think most Christians agree that apostles were this small group of first-generation ministers And in my view, the the prophets play this foundational first-generation role as well. So we don't see apostles or prophets in the church today. The the main ministers of the gospel we see in the church today are pastors and teachers. And you can see that by looking in in chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says that Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds or pastors and teachers. Now, Not all Christians agree with me about the role of prophets, whether they're foundational or whether they continue today, even in this church, all right? Uh, I don't think all the elders agree with me. I don't know. I'll probably get an earful on on Wednesday. I'm I'm joking, all right? Right? We can agree to disagree on that one, but I'm preaching this morning, so (laughs) I'm going to tell you what I think, all right? Or at least what I think about Scripture, all right? Uh, The passage in front of us, anyway. Um, here's, here's my point, though. My, my point, and I think Paul's point is, ministers are gifts of God's grace. Right? Ministers are gifts of God's grace. We see that again in verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me. Do you see, in case you didn't get it, gift, grace, given, right? Uh, <clears throat> 
We're entering a season of gift giving, right? Let's not forget that God has given us gifts. Of course, his son, the greatest gift, but also ministers of the gospel. He's given us apostles who've written this scripture that we're reading, right? He's given us pastors and teachers. This should encourage us. God has not left us as sheep without shepherds. Notice in verse 7 that Paul says his apostleship was given by the working of God's power. Now, where was Paul when he wrote this? He was in prison, right? It didn't seem like he had any power. He appears weak like Christ. But also like Christ, his ministry was characterized by the very power of God. God gives us crucified ministers who seem weak and powerless in the world, but who are empowered to proclaim the message that brings salvation to the world. I think there's a temptation for ministers today to embrace the power of the world in different ways, maybe to embrace the intellectual pride of our elite culture or the popularity and coolness of our popular culture. This is why Presbyterian ministers wear academic robes and church planners wear skinny jeans, right? And I say that in jest, all right? I say that in jest. There's a little bit of truth to that, all right? Um, if, here's what I will say, all right? If you're a minister of the gospel or if you're training to be a minister of the gospel like many here are, you have to put to death the desire to be seen as smart or the desire to be seen as cool, Someone once said that a man cannot present himself as clever and at the same time present Christ as mighty to save. It's one or the other. And I think we can say that a man cannot present himself as cool and present Christ, the crucified Christ, as mighty to save. It's one or the other. True ministers of the gospel are enabled by the power of God. They're not smart. They're not cool. They're crucified. Notice Paul's humility in verse 8. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Why does Paul call himself the very least of all the saints? This is not false humility. Elsewhere, Paul tells us it's because he persecuted the church of Christ. For Paul, the former persecutor, for Paul, the former persecutor of the church, to be the one who now would proclaim the riches of Christ to the world is like a former Al-Qaeda terrorist being put in charge of building the 9-11 memorial. How could Christ possibly choose someone like Paul for this task? It's grace, right? It's, it's undeserved. All Christians, but especially ministers of the gospel, need to constantly remind themselves that we are saved and we only minister by the grace of God. We need to put to death our pride and the false humility that covers up our pride. Sometimes I think we as evangelicals have perfected the art of the humble brag on social media, Right? so humbled that I was invited to speak the word today at Trinity Community Church. Please pray for me. Hashtag all glory to God. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. 
we use false humility to promote ourselves. Why don't we say, so humbled by all my sin this week, right? Why don't we say, so humbled that I just sinned against God by promoting myself instead of promoting him? We need the mindset of Paul. We need to be aware of our sin. We need to be aware that we're only saved and we only minister the gospel by the grace of God given to us. We need to be crucified ministers. And we, we as church members must learn to look through the gifts and to the giver. Right? It's so easy to be mesmerized by the gifts of a Christian leader. But Paul says that Christian ministers are sinners who only minister by the gifts and grace and power of God. This, I think, is part of the reason that God gives us crucified ministers, to keep us from boasting in ministers and to help us see that it's only the crucified Christ who saves. And, <clears throat> pardon me. And to encourage us that God really is powerfully at work among us, right? He's the one who gives us gifts. He's the one who's saving us. Well, my third point today comes from verse 10, and I'm going to take a drink of water here quickly. In verse 10, Paul speaks of the ultimate reason that God has revealed the gospel and the ultimate reason that he gives gifts to the church. Let's read it together. Paul says, It's so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Here Paul teaches that the church should not lose heart because all of this has been done to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Why does God raise up crucified ministers to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ? The ultimate goal may be surprising. Paul says it actually has a heavenly orientation. God wants to make his wisdom known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And, and I think Paul seems to be speaking about Satan and demonic angels who followed after him. I say this because of uh, chapter 6, verse 12. Uh, 6, 12 says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against humans, but we, against the rulers, against the authorities, there's our words, rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So I think Paul is talking when he says God wants to make his wisdom known to rulers and authorities. I think he's talking about, uh, about Satan and the demonic forces that follow him. Right? Satan and his demons are opposed to God and are stirring up the world to be opposed to God and one another. Ephesians 2.2 says that Satan is now at work among the sons of disobedience. So the evil in this world and the divisions in our society are not just rooted in human sin, but also in demonic and satanic power. And apparently, Satan thinks that there's no way that God can fix all this mess. But this is exactly what God is doing in the church and through the gospel of the crucified Christ. You see, the church displays the wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
From the perspective of the world, the church looks like foolishness. But the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. The church is the place where God is displaying, according to verse 10, his manifold wisdom. What does manifold mean? It means many-sided. So God's wisdom is manifold. It has many sides. I think part of this is the paradox of a crucified Savior. I think another part is God bringing together a diverse group of people from all the nations to be one body of Christ. As God enables us to believe this gospel of the crucified Christ together and to love one another, we, the church, are displaying the wisdom of God to the evil powers of this world. I bet you didn't see this purpose coming, right? This thing we're doing as a church, it can't be explained in just human categories. It can't be explained in secular or sociological categories, right? It can only be fully understood in spiritual categories. It can only be fully understood in theological categories. Because at the end of the day, it's all about God and the glory of his wisdom being displayed and made known. But God also enables us to share in his glory. And I see this in verse 13, which is the main point of the sermon today. Verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Christ suffered for our sins. He was raised from the dead so that we might be forgiven and raised to glory. And Paul suffered in order to spread this message of salvation to the nations so that many would believe in Christ and share in the glory of the resurrection. Similarly today, crucified ministers of the gospel must take up their cross in order that more and more people will share in the glory of God. So we as a church should not lose heart when it feels like we're on the losing team because we're actually on the winning team. The gospel we, we believe and proclaim is the very revelation of God. Crucified ministers are a gift of God. And through the church, all of heaven is seeing the manifold wisdom of God. So in the words of verse 12, uh, verse 12 says, In Christ we have, we could say we should have, boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And so Paul and I ask you to not lose heart, right? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that you've revealed to the apostles and prophets and through them that you've revealed to us. And we pray, we pray that you would use it, that you would use this message of the crucified Christ to save our souls um, to bring us to you again today and for every day of our life. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.